You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. Mark chapter 6, if you're there, um, you probably grew up in, in a more evolved social spot than I grew up in, you know, with the plebeians, uh, with all the ruffians like I did. Uh, you probably didn't grow up in lunchrooms, in locker rooms, uh, in lunch tables uh, and bonfires where they did yo mama jokes. They probably, didn't, they probably didn't do that where you came from, right? That was just pagans where I was growing up. Uh, one kid would just get, you know, offended and, you know, and maybe they just woke up on the wrong side of the bed and they just wanted to show, show form in front of their, their friends and they say, I heard that your mama eats kitty litter. And all the kids would go, dang, I know they didn't say that his mama ate kitty litter like that. Dang, why'd they have to do it and do them like that on Monday morning? And then the next kid, you know, he can't get, he can't get, you know, escalated on. So he brings it up a notch and he says, well, I heard your mama wears socks that smell. Boom. And everyone goes, dang. And then, it, you know, it keeps on going from there. The next thing, you know, maybe another kid jumps in and, and, and the next joke, you know, goes something like, um, yeah, I, I, heard, I heard your mama was big and I heard that she uh, uh, rode skates on Greyhound buses. And everyone goes, no. And then the guy, he drops the atom bomb. He says what you're not supposed to say. It. I heard I heard your mama took a selfie of herself and posted on Instagram, and it took up all the gigabytes on the Internet. Boom! And then the whole thing gets, gets shut down. I know that, you know, you guys didn't do stuff like that. Why, why, why did my people do that? When not your people. Why do people do those types of jokes? Um, uh, other than, you know, there's this, there's this essential belief I think all of us had, even when we grow up, is that, um, that the places that you come from uh, really uh, define the person that you are. There's this myth um, that, that all of us have in terms of different prejudices. Like if I told you I'm from Hong Kong or I told you I was an only child or I was the, my mom was a single mom, like there's already assumptions that you're going to make if I meet you at a party and I say that. You're just going to start to put together the pieces like where you're coming from is sort of the summation of who you are. And that's kind of like a, that's an adult thing, not, a, not an adolescent thing. Uh, and then eventually, you know, there's some fight, whether you're a kid or an adult, where somebody's taking their earrings off and they're saying, your mama wasn't no good, your daddy wasn't no good, your uncle wasn't no good. Uh, because we, we do indelibly believe, you know, you are where you come from to some degree. And so I thought it was funny this week because, you know, God did it again. And, you know, he'll do it once, he'll do it again. In that this last Halloween, if you guys remember, uh, Halloween was a Tuesday. And so on Sunday, the Sunday before Halloween at City Lights, for whatever reason, he decided that we were going to read. I didn't plan this out. I'm not that intentional. About the demoniac. We were going to read about demons two days before Halloween, which was crazy, right? So we're going to read about demoniac and God must have a sense of humor. And how much do you love this? And this is somewhat demonic as well sometimes. Is that uh, about four days before Thanksgiving, we're going to read today about coming home for the holidays. Anybody feeling a little bit more anxious about, even than Halloween, they're a little bit more scared of Thanksgiving. Uh, in the sense that Jesus uh, has, to, has to live this life where he goes out and he is telling, telling waves to stand still. I mean, that's, have you ever met anybody that just tells waves to stand still? That, that then the next week, Jesus' life is that he goes out and he's casting out a thousand demons out of this person, like into pigs and it drowns the demons. You guys remember the story? He's still in the, the, the storms. He's, he's casting out spirits. And then after that, he's raising dead people. Pretty awesome. And no matter who he is, Messiah or not, he's got to come back home at some point. And someone at that Thanksgiving dinner is going to go, how's that little ministry thing going, Jesus? <laughs> that there's dishonor even at Jesus' hometown. He's going to come home, and they're not going to see him the way that the Father sees him. And so, as a human, as he walked on this earth, so, so are we, that Jesus has to come home. And it says that as much as he wants his family healed, as much as he desires 
to not be an outside, inside person where he goes first to the nations and then to the neighbors and then maybe get home to the family later, that he wants to see healing start in his family, that very little healings were done there because there wasn't any honor. So, so, um, so this is kind of the, the, the idea that I, wanna, I want us to sit on a little bit as we continue on in this week and head towards Thanksgiving and Thursday and, and everything that comes around, around that is that I think what the scriptures might be saying to us today is that uh, if it is that we live on this earth and miss Jesus, it is probably not that we're missing Jesus because he's too high up. Like he's not like hiding from us in some, you know, astrological mystery far off beyond the, the stars. Like it's, we're not missing Jesus because he's too high. And we're not missing Jesus, most of us, because he's, he's too quick. Like you, you, gotta, you gotta get up at earlier at 5 a.m. I was already gone. You woke up late for your quiet time, so I'm gone. You know, I'm moving quicker than you, so speed up. We're not missing Jesus because he's too high. We're not missing Jesus because he's too fast or because he's too far off because he's a, you got to have a seminary degree because you got to know enough people because you have to, you know, um, have this sort of a, of a, of a past and a future to, to perform to get to Jesus. Actually, most human beings will probably miss Jesus because he's too low, because he's uh, on the lips of a kid, because he, he's calling us to a task that we think we're above. Uh, we're missing him because he's too slow, because he's not taking long enough, and so we, we do a little bit, you know, right here, and then we move on to the next thing, and we move on to the next thing, and we're faster than him. He's slowing us down rather than we're slowing him down. He's too low, and he's too slow, and he's far too close. That he's on the lips and, and, and speaking to you wisdom today from people like your spouse, ah, like, your, like your friend, like your weird uncle that's at Thanksgiving. Like he's speaking through people that you just prefer he wouldn't speak through. And so the great, you know, tragedy of humans is that we're walking around with Jesus everywhere, but we're missing him because we think that he's higher, we think that he's faster, and we think that he's further, but actually he's low, and he's slow, and he's close. And so isn't it true that, unfortunately, that although Jesus wants to work so much in our homes, our homes is the hardest place to see the kingdom come? Doesn't that make a lot of sense that both Jesus and, and, the, and Satan would come after our homes first and foremost because where are we going to get hurt and healed the most other than in our own homes? And so he would greatly, gladly have us going off into nations and talking to people that are different color skin than us and, and, and speaking to people with problems that aren't like ours, but then to come home and not see Jesus home, to have vacancy in the home is to have almost no healing at all. Wouldn't it be that both Satan and Jesus would work hard to see the kingdom of heaven come into our homes? Because sometimes the home is the hardest place for it to arrive in because it's too low and too slow and too close. And so um, I want to read this, this, this passage because I, I do believe that this passage is telling us that Jesus does desire to work deeply in our homes. That it's actually the first place he wants to work. And that, and that oftentimes the helping and the healing or the hindering has to do with honor. That faith in this sense is not about apologetics so much as it is about honor within our homes to the people that are sitting with us. So here it is in Mark chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. So Mark is kind of like that uh, Hallmark movie that you turned on. Remember the one where you come home and you break up with the dysfunctional boyfriend? You meet the cute lumberjack boyfriend who's been home waiting for you in your future all the way along, coming home to figure out what life is really about. And, uh, and Jesus is not like a lot, of, a lot of men. A lot of men will leave their home to go find significance in, in their workplace and actually lose the very place where they could be the most significant. You realize that if you want to impact your future and you want to impact the, the future of generations, the best place you're going to do it is on the carpet with your kids, not in the Mac at your, uh, your office. This is the place where significance happens. So Jesus gets this, and he wants healing to happen the most there. So he goes home, 
And verse 2 says, just like us, there's lots of traditions at your home. It says they go to the Sabbath every Saturday. So they went to the Sabbath just like they always do. That's the tradition. Kind of like we're going to go on Thanksgiving and, you know, eat the mashed potatoes and the cranberries or whatever else. And they teach just like every other day, but they don't teach with authority like Jesus does. And they're teaching in their synagogues. And that's the thing about traditions. The traditions are good because they hold you accountable, but they're also bad because they hold you unaccountable. In other words, when we come to church on Sundays, it's good because we're singing a song that hopefully will seep and saturate into our hearts and we will end up believing what we're singing. But also, it can leave you vulnerable because you can sing something and actually make you think you believe what you're singing when you don't. And so our traditions, they hold us accountable. They're predictable patterns that keep us in the place of grace. But sometimes they leave us inoculated and give us a false sense of assurance that because I did the tradition, therefore my heart has changed. And so this is the tradition of the synagogue. And look what it says at the very end of this verse, that when they came into contact with Jesus, it says, unlike popular opinion, that the people didn't reject Jesus because they were bored and dissatisfied, that they reject Jesus because they were amazed and offended. They were amazed and they were offended. That's what the problem is. And so I, uh, I stepped away from ministry in 2015 for a little while after I'd done youth for about seven years, and I learned a very important, valuable lesson, and that is there is a difference uh, between uh, ministry and the kingdom of heaven. There is a big difference between what I was getting paid to do in ministry for my first youth job, which is to answer Gmails just like you and schedule things on calendars just like you and do the things that you do, that I became basically a secretary but I had to realize that the kingdom of God is in the church and all of the church is in the kingdom, but not all of the kingdom is in the church. But the kingdom is in public schools and your office and workplace and all these places. And if you get a job in ministry, this means you become the secretary for everybody else. But the kingdom is way bigger than the church. And that also this fact is true, is that uh, if I ever get hit by a bus, and I don't know why pastors, they always say this, if Oliver ever got hit by a bus, I don't know why this always happens. I don't want to know who's driving this bus and how fast they're driving and that I can forgive him in the Lord. Um, but the reality is, is that if, if you're in the ministry and you quit your job, they're going to hire a new youth pastor within a week, but your kids are never going to get a new dad. If you get hit by a bus, they'll get a new youth pastor, but the kids are not going to get a new dad. And so there's a difference between the kingdom and ministry. And so here, I think, is the tension of what's so offensive, what's so amazing about the kingdom of God and what's so offensive at the same time is that although the kingdom of God is near us, it doesn't need us. And that is super offensive to human beings like us because we want to be important. We want to be significant. I've been to, I was just said it the other week, a, a preacher's gathering where they're teaching you how to preach. And there was t-shirts and banners and brands and, 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 and all this fun stuff. And people were praying articulate. I, you've never heard the most articulate prayers I've ever heard in my life at this preacher's conference because we love to talk. And they let this one little teenager in because he would just happen to be at the wrong or right place at the right time. And he didn't know what to pray. And he prayed like, probably he should teach me how to pray, shorter. And he said, Jesus, thank you for saving us from our sins. Lord, I pray that you bring revival and you bring mighty preachers and oil of anointing. Thank you for saving us for our sins. May your kingdom come. Is that that the kingdom of heaven loves preachers and kids and uses preachers and kids, but it doesn't need either of them. And he's going to move where he wants and do what he wants. And that's what's so offensive about it is that I am going to spend 40 hours this week towards a ministry job, but it is not the kingdom of heaven. And if he decides to use it, he can use it. And if he doesn't want to use it, he's not going to use it. And that's what's most offensive about our traditions, which leads us away from the church and back to our our family rooms. Remember that the churches need to become more like families, but also families are becoming more like churches by God's grace. And here's what's offensive about God and family, is um, is that although families are near the heart of Jesus all the time, Jesus does not need our families to raise up the kingdom of heaven. 
on the screen there, what is most amazing and offensive about your family that you're going to go to on Thanksgiving is that Jesus has used it, but he doesn't need it. And so here's, here's why the drama exists. Why are you tense? Like, why are you tense about coming to, to, to the Thanksgiving dinner? And here's why. It's because you might be 35 years old, and you might be an executive with a ton of money and done a lot of stuff on your resume, but when you come back home, you're still a little Timmy, and you're still going to sit at that little kid's table. And that's super annoying. Because the vehicle of your family was built in 1982, and it doesn't fit anybody at this table anymore other than grandpa. Right? This is what traditions will do. Traditions will help you, and they will hurt you all at the same time, because traditions were not made for the future. They were made for the past. So no matter who you are, it doesn't matter who you are right now and where you're headed, you will always be who you were. And probably it's a good thing if there's tension from your family, because it means you're not who you are anymore, but that doesn't change the fact it's annoying they're going to make you sit at that kid's table even though you're 38. This is, what traditions, this is what traditions will do for us, and that's why it's so offensive. And this is what's so offensive. I mean, we give, our, if there's anything, blood, sweat, and tears to raise our kids and kiss the boo-boos and usher out the spankings if need be and put the chore chart and make the beds. All these things are beautiful gifts to God, but he didn't need them. He just blessed them. And what does it mean to have to let that go? What does it mean to see family as a cherished part of the kingdom of God but separate and distinct and need to be put under. Even family can be an idol. Even family can be an idol. Even people can be an idol. And any idol put above Jesus will find a curse if it's, if it's not put underneath the kingship of Jesus. And so here's how you could, you could move from offense to being amazed. Treat that 15-year-old like they're 15 and not like they're 7. Truth is, they're not on Paw Patrol anymore. And you have the one story, and you're going to bring up little Johnny. Remember when you went to bed and drank too much Pepsi? Like, you could choose to see him that way. Or you could choose to see him the way that Jesus sees him, which is a 15-year-old kid. And how many of you guys know 15-year-olds are, are buying and selling and buying into lies and truths that will, that will shape their present and your future based on what you speak over them? That 30-year-old that's at your table is no longer 12 anymore. And they might actually have wisdom that you need for your situation. And if you continue to treat them like they're 20 years old and not like they're 30 years old, you might miss what God's doing because healing comes through honor. It comes through valuing and seeing people the way that Jesus sees them, not the way you want to see them. That 50-year-old person, that 60-year-old person that you're going into, there's something not just to love them and put up with them, but to listen to them is maybe where the healing lives. If only we would honor. So the kingdom wants to come into your home, and it starts there, but it's the hardest place to get it. And this is what they say to him. Where did they get these things, they said. Where did he get these things? So I want to put up just parallels of four different statements, four different questions that we've seen so far in the book of Mark starting with the demons. The demons, ironically, in the book of Mark, know better theology than we do. They know better theology than we do and act accordingly by their deception because they know if they, they up the ante and put it into the broad daylight that they would never stand a chance in Jesus, so they work in the shadows, hiding themselves at the Father of light, and they sneak little seeds of suspicion within us without actually having real truth. But this is what the demons are talking about in the book of Mark, if we would listen to them about the truth. They know, verse 124, that he's the Holy One of God. They know, verse 134, that he, he is who he says he is. They call him, in verse 311, the Son of the Most High God. And in verse 57, again, the Son of the Most High God. In other words, demons have better theology than humans do oftentimes. But here's what that sounds like. Sometimes it does sound like shouting. Sometimes it's demonized. And sometimes it just sounds like dishonor. Here's what it sounds like from human lips. Look at all of the, the question words that Mark uses to describe the crowds and the way that people perceive Jesus. What is this teaching? What is this teaching? What, what does he get off talking about dead and raised in three days again? 
Why does, why does this fellow talk like this, these seeds? He's not shouting, he's just, he's just whispering. These seeds of, of, of dishonor. Verse 4, verse 41, who is this that could command the waves? And then, again, verse, chapter 6, verse 2, because you are where you come from. Where does he get these things? Isn't he just Mary's son? Isn't he just the carpenter's boy? Isn't he just the little kid that played upward basketball that hogged the ball too much? Like, isn't he just the little kid from down the street? So if family is the centerpiece, is the heartbeat of where the kingdom of God can flow or where he wants to, to flow, we, we've got to believe that both Jesus and Satan are working pretty hard on our families. We're going to experience a lot of opposition and obstacles when it comes when it comes to what's going on in our families, but oftentimes it won't sound like shouting and bullying. It'll just sound like whispers. It won't sound like seeds of doubt as much as just seeds of dishonor. So this is how it plays out. What's this wisdom that has been given to him? And what are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? That was a way of saying he's a bastard. That's a way of saying that he doesn't have a father in his lineage. Isn't this just Mary's son? Isn't this the brother of James? Isn't that just your Sunday school teacher? Isn't that just your preacher who, like, stutters while he preaches? Isn't that just, uh, you know, your, your, your spouse that's, like, disorganized and always loses their keys? You don't have to listen to somebody like that. They're just, they're just a fool. They're just a, a common person. And so he plants these little, little seeds, and he says, aren't his sisters with us? And, 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 they, and they took offense at him. I really believe what the Scripture is telling us, that most of the people that are struggling with belief in your life, and you, by the way, are not struggling with apologetics. They're struggling with honor. They can't conceive of God speaking through somebody that common. And so, and so while we're off looking at superheroes on our Instagram, we're missing God speaking at our dinner table. We're missing God speaking through something too common and too ordinary for us to, to bend our ear to it, to listen, and missing God, God altogether. And so, and so this is what I love Bill Johnson. If you've ever heard of Bill Johnson before, he has a great definition of honor. He says that honor, when it says honor your mother and father, which really probably is more than just your people on your tree, it's also your boss and people that you look up to and people that your spouse or your kids, sometimes we would honor our kids. I think it goes all different directions. It's just not about chivalry. Honor is more than manners. Holding the door and saying yes, sir, is, is the tip of the iceberg. True honor, from the biblical standpoint, has to not do through your, your lips, but has to do with your heart. It's, it's, it's value for somebody. It's choosing to see somebody the way Jesus sees them. That's what Jesus says when he says murder. Murder is like calling somebody rock under your breath. It's just treating somebody with contempt or just treating them as common. So the opposite of honor is not rudeness. The opposite of honor is just treating somebody like they're common. It's just treating somebody like they're expendable. It's, it's just that, you know, your husband, you know, has a hair, hair coming out of his nose and your grandpa smells weird and this person's name is Tammy. And so you just put him in this category. It's just Tammy. It's, I mean, it's just, it's just Karen. Oh, it's just Phil. You know Phil? It's just old Phil. The problem with that is when we're saying it's just this person, just that person, is, 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 that, is that we, especially in an independent culture like ours, have a really easy time with love. Love goes downward, but honor has to go upward. I actually have to put myself in a position where I have something to learn from somebody else, where I have to lean on somebody else or listen to what they have to say Honor, if, you, if you're a visual person, has, is a lot like a mustard stain. If I got a mustard stain on my shirt, y'all wouldn't maybe even notice it if it was on the backside. And if I took a picture, nobody would see it, especially if I changed the filter. But how quick are we? We have one little mustard stain, just throw the whole shirt out together. And that's all it takes, especially if we were looking for it. It's just one excuse not to have to listen to what God might be saying to us. I just have to find one little detail about you to throw out the entire thing, to throw out the entire baby with the bathwater. So, in other words, when Jesus says unbelief, he's not talking about apologetics. He's talking about honor in this passage. 
if I am not, if I'm in a place where I listen to no one, lean on no one, and learn from no one, the reason why Jesus says that's unbelief is because it's practical atheism. I believe their sin is greater than your salvation, so I don't need to listen to them. Because the Spirit of God could never indwell in somebody that ever sinned. So functionally, that's saying, I don't believe the power of your gospel is greater than their bad habit. So honor is seeing things through what, 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 what Jesus is saying and what he sees in other people. So I just thought I would put up a little list as we go home because we're all going to need something. How many know Mike Tyson says when you have a plan, it all goes out the window until you got punched in the mouth, okay? So these are three easy things that I want you to remember when, when somebody tells you how to raise their kids again at Thanksgiving and you're going to lose it, okay? How to overcome offense. And here's something that's encouraging as I just Googled it this week is that this phrase, how to overcome offense, only had biblical answers to it. In other words, in other words the church is searching for answers that the world's not looking for. That's encouraging to me, that, that, that if you were to search in Google for overcoming offense, you'd only see answers that, are, that have a Christian worldview to them. It's powerful. Overcoming offense, how to honor and overcome offense. Jesus says great healing will come through honor, and, and, and he could do little miracles when there's no honor. That honor will be the soil by which faith can grow. Number one, overcoming offense by looking to God. Looking over someone's offense by looking to God. In other words, it is, it is always understanding that there is no horizontal sin that I give or receive that is ever greater than a vertical sin, and that God sees it all. It starts from this place that I don't see the whole picture, and God, I invite you to show me the way you see this. Bill Johnson, the quote that I was reading earlier, uh, I was, it showed up all over my Instagram for some reason this week, maybe because it's Thanksgiving. Um, but, they, but apparently there was a, a few testimonies and quotes about this pastor in, in, in California they couldn't ever remember a time he ever said anything negative about anybody. What a remarkable choice to live out the 74 years average of your life to make the decision, I will, I will be judgmental of actions and I will differentiate the difference between right and wrong, but I will never partner my lips with an attack on someone that God has made. That's a profound testimony. That would be worth, I mean, if you never healed another person or led anybody to Jesus, if you lived the rest of your days and said, I'm going to make a bargain, I'm going to make a, a contract with myself that I'm not going to allow slander and call it something else or gossip out of these lips. I'm going to only speak in agreement with the way that God sees something. Apparently, if he's done it with, with a reputation, it's possible for somebody else. Looking at, God, looking at things through God's perspective, that would be number one. But number two is looking at, looking at people for the gold that's inside of them. I mean, I, I'm raising teenagers right now. I'm raising kids. We had lots of counselors. We have people in our lives. And one of the best things that I think has been so helpful in, in, the, in the child raising process, for me at least, is seeing somebody for who they are before you stumble over who they're not. In other words, before somebody ever comes into your life as a curse to you, uh, as a problem, as a nuisance, before anybody's a curse, they're a blessing. And oftentimes it's the people that are, that are the most you know, disorganized that are also the most joyful, or sometimes it's the people that are the most introverted that are also the most peaceful, and so on and so forth. There is a choice that everybody has their warts and everybody has their gifts, and it's a choice of whether or not you're going to see their warts through their gifts or see their gifts through their warts. And that decision is a big deal about how you, how you pick up the phone. What if you picked up the phone and text people back and you decided, I am not going to speak to this person until the pleasure of God falls on my shoulders towards that person. I'm not going to speak to this person I remember my favorite thing about them. To see their gold in the middle of the dirt, honor in a sense, is understanding that God's not done yet. And it's dealing with the person in front of you, understanding, yes, I know that things are not done, but I choose to focus on what God has done and moving into that rather than choose to focus on what God has not done and grow anxious about it. It is watering, watering the grass versus watering the weeds. 
Lastly, and this is maybe one of my favorites, is life is just too short. And looking for your role that you are not the Holy Spirit is probably one of the best ways to take your hat off and put it at an altar. So here's what Craig Rochelle says, it's been sticking with me all week, is that your life is too short and your calling is too great to live offended. I think that's the Mike Tyson plan as you go home on Thursday. You just got to ask yourself, I'm here for, I I read about it, 4,000 weeks. I'm here for 4,000 weeks, that's it. And my mission is to bring heaven to earth and to see healing for the nations. And if this conversation of conflict is going to help with that, then I'm, I'm all in. But if any of this is some sort of a distraction or a detour or I'm not going to remember in five minutes, is it really worth it to bring up in the, in the long run? What if you were able to, 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 even in just a second or a moment this week, break generational curses and bondage just by, by rushing to forgiveness, saving yourself the six month of, of bitterness about it, and just forgiving on the spot, knowing that your calling is great and your life is short? I thought that was, that was, a, that was a powerful way to look at it. All right, so this is how it closed in verse 4. Jesus says to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. So this isn't in the New Testament or the Old Testament. It's just like a Jewish colloquial saying. Our colloquial version of this is what Benjamin Franklin said, familiarity breeds contempt. People get uglier as you get closer to them. And the smartest thing that that dude that hosted the conference did was stay 90 miles away from you because if you saw who he was, you probably wouldn't listen to him as much. Familiarity breeds contempt. And Jesus says that faith is not so much about apologetics. It's about honor. It's not because there's a seven-day scheme that you can't wrap your head around that God made the earth in seven days. It's because your Sunday school teacher was either boring or they hurt you. Or your boyfriend who claimed to be a Christian broke up with you and did something to you that you can't forgive or let go of. And the snag that you're running into is not apologetics. It's forgiveness. That's the thing that's keeping us. Familiarity breeds contempt. And it says in verse 5, Jesus who was the miracle man himself, could do very little miracles there except for lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. And then in verse 6, it says, he was amazed, they were amazed at his healings, it says he was amazed at their lack of faith. So I'm going to close today with a very profound, not biblical, but very profound and helpful poetic uh, soliloquy here by a, by a modern-day prophet named Garth Brooks. Uh, in Psalm 1992 here, um, in, in, in a song that you may have heard and have to sing under your breath as I just read it out loud for you, as the words will do, do their own work. And this is a song that if you are uh, not born, if, if you weren't born in the 1900s like I was, you probably don't know the song, but welcome. This is, uh, this is called, Garth, this is called uh, I've Got Friends in Low Places by Garth Brooks. God's going to preach now. So uh, this is how it goes. It says, blame it on my roots. Can you hear the melody? I, I showed up in boots. And ruined your black tie affair. The last one to know, the last one to show, I was the last one you thought you'd see there. And I saw the surprise and the fear in their eyes when I, when I took his glass of champagne and I toasted you and said, Honey, we may be through, but you'll never hear me complain. Because I've got friends in low places where the whiskey drowns and the beer chases my blues away. And it'll be okay. Yeah, I'm not a fan of social graces. Think I'll slip on down to the oasis. Oh, I've got friends in low places. See, the different uh, part here, the difficult part for an American person reading through a Jewish context is, is they used to think that poverty meant you did something wrong, and we oftentimes think that if you're rich, you did something wrong. It's easier for us to believe that a Messiah would come from a low place than a high place. Garth Brooks' theology is tainted, as we'd assume, 
in the sense that the reason why Jesus is saying it was hard for the kingdom to come in their midst was not because they were living in high places, but because they had high places in their heart. That Jesus was saying, I, I come to all places, but I will, I will meet you in the low places. And not the low places of your socioeconomic status, but the low places of your heart. He's not coming to low places. And, and so we, we think sometimes in a Jacksonian democracy, that's a history, history teacher name drop there. When we, when we went from a British aristocratic idea to a common man motif where the blue jeans were the hero's thing and coming up from your bootstraps, that we could, we could mistrust high places and distrust low places. Jesus is saying, I'm not coming to low places. I'm coming to lowly people. He's coming to low hearts. And oftentimes, it's in the low places where we create the highest places in our heart because when we were born into poverty, we, we want to wear the nicest shoes. And when we're born into disorganized chaos, we want to create the most organization. And when we're born into the most boredom, we want to have raised families that have fun. Keep in mind that the people that rejected Jesus were from low places too. They were his friends. They were his family. And so, and, and, and so we oftentimes, I think, um, from, from our, our current modern you know, experience, um, have, I think, maybe the hardest time in our, in our American background and culture in the sense that we believe totally in unconditional love. But when it comes to unconditional honor and unconditional respect, love is given, but honor and respect is earned. And what Jesus is absolutely saying about the way we honor our parents, honor our spouses, honor our kids, the way we submit ourselves, what does submission mean? Submission means to, not like the Romans, rush on without you and use my strengths against you, but to come under you and lift you up towards Jesus that posture is where healing flows. It's not in high places or low places, but in lowly hearts that God will enter into our families because he so desires the healing. So what is faith as we consider suffering in faith and the suffering servant is that faith is just everything under Jesus. It's deciding to put my traditions under Jesus. That the family that we've built and all the great things that Jesus has used in the past is not what he's using anymore. And if I'm only living in the past and not available for what God is going to do at my Thanksgiving table in 2023, then I will miss him. I'll miss him every time. And faith is not grabbing hold of God and trying to bring him and control him and make and recreate the kingdom of God as I see fit. It's just surrendering and agreeing with whatever he wants. What is faith? What is faith except putting everything under Jesus? It's putting our offenses under Jesus. Is that I choose to see this person for what you're doing in your life even though you're not done working yet. I have, that's my choice. Until we get to heaven, you're going to be working and not done yet at the same time. But my choice is whether or not I pay attention to the things you've done or the things you've not done yet. That's what honor is giving us the, the, the decision to do. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc. 